morning. All right, we didn't get to do a sound check today, so Joel's going to bring me down a little. You guys let me know. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Are you hearing me? Okay. Too loud? Too loud? It's so loud, someone said. One person who will. (laughs) It's always so loud. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 44. My voice holds up today. You can pray for me. Um, we started Seven Deadly Sins last week, uh, and if you didn't have a chance to catch the first sermon, that would be helpful for you because we did a lot of groundwork, a lot of introductory work on virtue and vice, um, and so I would encourage you to listen to that sometime this week. Also, just a challenge um, to memorize the traditional Christian vices and virtues. So just to read those off again, envy, vainglory, sloth, greed, anger, gluttony, lust. That'll be the order of our sermon series. And then the virtues, faith, hope, love, wisdom, justice, courage, temperance. Uh, This is Christian ethics. This is how And what does discipleship look like? I'm a Christian. Great, I'm following Jesus. What does that look like? What does it mean to live for Christ? Uh, We are making those decisions all the time. We're making choices every day on how we're going to live, what we're going to think, what we're going to say, what we're going to do. So we're trying to let the Bible give shape to our moral life, our ethical life. We have to make decisions all the time. What is good? What is bad? What is glorifying to God? What is not? Um, And these are just categories that, yeah, we, I guess you could say, in a sense, man came up with, but just to try to categorize the Bible's teaching on our moral life, on put off and put on, on leave behind the corruption of the world and become like Jesus. What does it look like? So let's read Isaiah 44, 21. Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, As we just sang, you are worthy of all glory, all honor, all praise. Forgive us for the sake of Jesus and his glory, for how often we steal and rob glory from you. We make ourselves number one. We want to be God, but we lack any of the ability and resources. And yet we try in our pride. Would you forgive us today for our pride? Would you cleanse us and make us humble, gentle, lowly, of heart like Jesus? Lord Jesus, we thank you that although you were God in the flesh, although you are God in the flesh, but when you lived on this earth, there was not a hint of sinful pride in your heart. 
You are constantly and ever and always deferring to the Father. You wanted to glorify the Father. That's why you came. Um, You came not even for your own glory, even though you deserve it and are worthy of it. You came to glorify the Father. And even when you asked the Father to glorify you, it was, it was this request. It was, it was a humility about it. And thank you that by faith in Christ, through your grace, we receive that humility bit by bit as Christians. So Holy Spirit, we pray you would sanctify us in the truth that we are not God and you are, and it is not good for us to try to take glory from you It will destroy us. And so we pray for that this morning, that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would convict us and yet liberate us from this vice and help us to put on virtue one decision at a time, one day at a time, slowly but surely over a life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You said that a vice is not an individual sin. Um, Joel, I think you can bring me down just a touch, too, if you're still up there. Um, It's not a a once-in-a-while thing. It is a pattern. It is a habit. A vice is a habit of sin that forms your character. A vice is a habit of sin that forms your character. A virtue is a habit of godliness that forms your character. We're talking about habits. Patterns, whether good or bad, these are things you do again and again and again over time that form who you are. And we all have them. They, they feel easy, natural, like chewing your food. You don't think about it. You just do it. We're comparing them to grooves in a sledding hill. So you, the more you sled down the same spot again and again and again, there are grooves. And it gets faster. It gets easier. It gets harder to turn. Now, at the beginning, both godliness and sin is harder to do. We know that. As a kid, you start crossing a line. You know, you, you, you steal a piece of gum. Well, then you, you maybe go a little farther and a little farther, and a little farther. And it's hard to do that, but maybe you make yourself do it. And then it becomes easy to just steal all the time. Same thing with godliness. It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel easy. But we, by the power of God, we form habits. We push ourselves. No, I'm going to choose to love this person. Well, it becomes easier to love them the next time. What we're after in these messages is what does it look like to unform the old habits and form new ones? And if you are in Christ, you can't. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what it is. You can't. Because God is real. His power is real. And that takes self-knowledge, which isn't always fun. Painful, maybe, but liberating. Yes. Yes. We repent, we turn, and God gives us the joy and life of Christ himself, the virtue of Christ. So let's get into the capital vice of vainglory. First looking at the problem, then the solution. Sickness and the cure. Here's the problem. Here's the definition. Vainglory is the excessive or disordered desire to be thought well of by others. Say that again. 
Vainglory is the excessive or disordered desire to be thought well of by others. Now, there is a good sense of caring what people think, especially if you're a Christian, because what people think of you is in part what they think of Jesus. You're representing him. So it shouldn't be, we shouldn't be people as Christians, I don't care what anybody thinks. But that not, should not be our mentality. There is a good sense of it. But you can want that too much to be thought well of. You can want it in the wrong way. Um, the vice of vainglory has three conspicuous tattoos on her body. Attention, approval, and applause. Three A's. Attention, approval, and applause. This is what's on your mind. Not mainly doing good but to be seen doing good. Not mainly to pursue excellence, but to be thought of as excellent. Vainglorious are always considering what others will think or do think. Hoping, wanting, needing to be thought well of. <clears throat> you don't want just a nicely manicured lawn, you want people to see that lawn. You want them talking about it. Did you see Jimmy's lawn? That thing is immaculate. That's what you're after. Not in appreciating the fine cuts of the lawn, the greenness of it. No. Who's driving by? Who's driving by? You don't just want a clean kitchen. You want people to notice the clean kitchen. So you get mad when someone drops by unannounced. And you don't have time. To clean up. Not because it didn't bless your visitor when they came into a dirty house, but because it made you look bad. They saw. They saw the truth. It's not always clean. And that makes you mad. You don't want to just know important people. You want people to know you know important people. So you name drop, but not in a way that makes it seem like you're name dropping, or so you think. You don't want to just be able to fix things around the house, do nice things, bless your family, bless others. You want people to notice those things. Well, who did that? Wow, that's impressive. I can't do that. And that feels good. It's not mainly about your kids doing well in school. It's about people knowing that they're doing well. So you casually drop it in conversation without being asked. You post it, not mainly to encourage anyone or to um, encourage your kids, but so people will know. It's not mainly about your grandkids excelling in athletics, theater, music, whatever they're into. It's about people knowing that they're excelling. And so you have to say something. You have, you have to brag um, because it makes you look good. That's the bottom line. It makes you look good. You're associated with something good, and you want people to know that you, there, there's a connection here. It's my grandkid did that. Now, someone asks you, how'd the track meet go? That's different. You know somebody wants to know something about you or your family. You know they care. You tell them. That's different. I'm talking about the thrill of that chase, of, of something happens in your life, whatever it is, and you're immediately thinking about who saw, 
Who can I tell? I want people to know because this is impressive. It's not mainly about enjoying the solace and challenge of hunting. It's about people seeing that buck you shot. It's about getting that picture posted, getting congratulated. What if you couldn't get a picture of the buck? And I'm talking like a good one. I don't know what the inches are or what any of the, that stuff, what defines that. But it's a good one, okay? It's a big one. And you can't get a picture. There's no evidence. Only you know. Would that bother you? The vainglorious, that would bother them. Nobody knows but you and the buck. He knows. You shot him. You're a good shot. This is hell to the vainglorious. No one knows but me. No one sees but me. That is hell. I have to tell someone. They have to know. Now, some have simplified this to pride, and you'll see that in Deadly Sinless, but I, I think good to have a distinction. Pride is certainly the root of vainglory, but pride wants to be number one. Vainglory wants to be seen as number one. See the difference? Pride is more about the substance. I want to I be better than everyone. I want to be more important, better than God even. Vainglorious is, vainglory is about perception. So it's in there. There's overlap. But it's about being seen. You spend a lot of mental energy on this, thinking about who's going to notice, who will see, who did see, will they be impressed, what do they think? I've been in gyms and weight rooms since I was a kid. Not that you can really tell. People have been trying to fatten me up my whole life, including you people. It's kind of working. I put on suit pants the other day from like 10 years ago, and the button went, pew. It's the potlucks, I think. We've got to stop having those, or I'll just stop eating so much. Um, it's not the point at all, what I'm saying. I've been around gyms long enough to know a poser when I see one. You tracking with me there? Someone who is not there to get stronger, faster, healthier, they are there to be seen. They're, look, they're just scanning. You can see it. And the clothes are tight. The beach muscles are nicely highlighted by their attire. Hair is perfect. Makeup is neatly applied. Maybe they're grunting to draw attention to themselves. I just kind of glare at them when I hear people doing that. Do you really need to yell like that when you're doing a hand clean? Is it necessary? Very, very aware of who is watching. Who is watching? What do they think of me? Vainglory is like that. You're a slave. You're not free. I see those people, I pray for them because they're enslaved to the attention, the approval, and the applause of other people. They're not free. Someone thinks you have a nice bicep, fine, great, but I don't need you to think that. 
typically you're going to be tempted to this in an area of life you have gifts or you have virtue. Something you're good at, basically. Something you care about. Um, tempting you not just to do them well, but to be seen and recognized as doing them well so that your self-worth is elevated. You, it's your identity. Okay, I, I need you to notice, I need you to compliment because this is who I am and I need to feel like I am valuable, like I matter. It goes so deep, guys. It's not just, oh, I kind of care. what. No, this is like the core of my being. The Bible is clear. Taking glory for yourself is cosmic plagiarism. You are putting your name on work you didn't do. You are taking glory from God that is His, like you took His tests and put your name on it. You didn't create your own gifts. It's God that gives you life and breath and everything, the Bible says. Everything means everything. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is nothing. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Every good thing about you, every gift, every good thing you've ever done or will do ever, ever, ever is borrowed. You are not the source. God is. You are not the gift. God is. You are not the giver. God is. You are not the one most deserving of praise. God is. If we believe that, let's act like it. Stop boasting. It's evil. God is serious about his glory. He is jealous for it. And man, I know I can just so easily just pat myself on the back, puff myself up, crave your approval. doesn't mean you shouldn't take a compliment. It's a humble thing to take a compliment. It's a good thing should be complimenting, encouraging each other. It's that you know in your heart, you know, this is not me. This is not me. In your heart, you're thanking God. You know the truth. You acknowledge Him. You thank Him. You don't have to be acknowledged. I know for some of you that is very hard. You know you're stealing glory from God when you have to be thanked. You have to be acknowledged. You're angry if you're not. Nice to get a thank you. Did you look around at the house? You didn't leave it like that. I can tell you that much. You get sulky if you don't get thanked. What's wrong? Nothing. I just thought you might have noticed that thing that I did. You quit if you don't get acknowledged. Well, if this is the thanks I get, forget it. I'm not doing it. Nobody says thank you. Nobody seems to care. Forget it. Social media platforms do not help us in this area. Can I get an amen? We already have a problem, and they throw gasoline on it. 
Um, these apps, features, they are designed to make you think about yourself all the time. Designed, constantly making you aware of what other people think about you. If you haven't watched the documentary, The Social Dilemma, you need to. Watch it with your kids. I don't say this lightly or often, but it, it has the potential to change your life. Here's a poll quote that I think sums up what these platforms are designed to do. Sean Parker founded Facebook, one of the founders, says, The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? I mean, we're right there. <laughs> are, are, are alarms going off? And that means we need to give some sort of, we need to give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. It's a social validation feedback loop. Just process that. It's a social validation feedback loop. That is a basically like a techie definition of vainglory. <laughs> I'm just in a loop. I'm being validated. I'm validating you. We're just validating each other. It's a constant patting each other on the back so that we can feel good about ourselves. He goes on. You're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. They get humanity. They've done the studies. They have the statistics. They know how we're vulnerable, especially kids. Totally vulnerable. Parents, protect them, please, for the love of the Lord. Please protect your kids. This is not like, eh, you know, not a big deal. It is a huge deal. And, and frankly, as a generation, even Christians, we are failing. We are failing in this area. We are not serious enough. The, the, the effects are starting to come out statistically. Non-Christians are saying, danger. And we're still kind of like, well, I only let them have two hours of screen time a day, or they only go on TikTok for a little while. Or, what are we doing? We have to get more serious or there will be severe consequences. We got to catch up because approval is a narcotic, folks. It's a drug. It is addictive. They know that. They built it into the software. Just try taking a phone away from a teenager who is hooked on applause, praise, and attention. It's like trying to take the ring from Gollum. Get your hands off my precious because they need it. They're hooked. They're addicted. Literally. I was talking to a mom in town this week, and, and she kind of started to open up about her teenage daughter, she's at a loss. I don't know what to do with her. I can't get her off TikTok. And she says, and all of a sudden, she's, she's wanting all these nice clothes. She's wanting all, you know, nice purses. And she's very consume, consumed with image. And 
she won't leave the house unless she's perfect, and we try to take anything away, and she's angry. And in my head, I'm like, I feel like there's a connection between those two things. What is teaching, shaping, forming the habits of your brain, of your heart, to think that image is everything? Maybe it's TikTok. What's the cure? What's the solution? Sometimes God knows the only way to get through to us is to take away the thing we glory in. (laughs) That which you find your self-worth in. What is that for you? If it's your reputation, you're really thought well of by many people, uh, God may take it away. You cherish being seen as a competent professional. You may lose your job. You cherish being see, seen as an athlete. You get injured. You cherish being seen as having a picture-perfect family. You have a wayward child. You cherish being seen as smart, and then you meet someone who's a lot smarter than you, and you know it. You cherish being seen as good-looking. You get old. You get a rash. Your hair starts to fall out. Whatever it takes for God to get through to you. Because He loves you, He may need to send people and events to humble you. To show you the fleeting nature of vainglory. Will you listen when He sends those things? Maybe this sermon is one of them. Will you listen? He does it so that you would find yourself in Him. That you would find yourself in Him. So that you would remember His attention, His approval, His applause is better than anything else. Do you believe it? Isaiah 44, 21. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. We have a fear that who we are and what we do will be forgotten. And here you have a promise saying just the opposite. God will never forget you. He delights in every good thing that you do. He is watching He sees, he knows, he celebrates. We have this sense of longing for the praise of the praiseworthy. That's a good longing. And it is only satisfied in Christ. You have the praise of the most praiseworthy. Beyond anyone else. You won't be forgotten. It's a promise. God always remembers you. And when you become a Christian, you're in. You're in to the inner ring, the place you've always wanted to be down deep in your heart. Father, Son, Holy Spirit welcoming you in to their fellowship and communion. You don't have to make anyone else think better of you because they think well of you. You see that? How ridiculous it is. Why would you care more about what these people think of you than God? 
In Christ, when you trust in Him, you are truly the apple of His eye, the most precious thing to Him. His child. Ought that not be enough? Do you know that when God looks at you now, if you've trusted in Jesus, He sees the radiance of the glory of God in Jesus Christ reflecting in and through you. The perfection of Christ, that body of work, is applied to you, transferred to you, so that when God sees you, He sees Jesus. How good is that? How freeing is that? So the first cure is to find your approval, attention, applause from God Himself, to find your worth in what He thinks, not the mob, Online, not a click, girls, not your parents, not even your spouse. Be free. Be free. Three spiritual disciplines to help you suck out the poison. Number one, study. Study the nature of God. Study the attributes of God. When you do that, you expose vainglory for the ridiculous exercise that it is. When I am confronted with the infinite, majesty, glory, honor, awe, goodness, grace, love of God, while I'm trying to make someone notice my lawn, it feels ridiculous. This and this, really? It exposes it. The more you know God, it exposes how just stupid that is. How ridiculous it feels. I know some of you have studied the attributes of God many times, and I'm, I'm betting that it's helped you resist this vice. I'm guessing it helps, has helped build a virtue in your life. Um, some of you have never intentionally studied the attributes of God. You need to. And, and ladies, don't just think this is for men, okay? Yes, men, yes, but, okay. You have to start, ladies, you have to stop thinking about theology as for the men. Theology is for everyone. You are already a theologian, just a good one or a bad one? That's the only question. Study the attributes of God. Take some time. Take a year. Read Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy. Read Packer's Knowing God. Read Jen Wilkins, None Like Him. Read Fred Sanders' The Deep Things of God. If you really want to do, <laughs> get serious about it, Read Herman Bovink, Reformed Dogmatics, but not so that someone sees you reading it. See what I did there? It's slippery. It's slippery. Do a good thing. Who's watching? No, but this is a good thing. And we need to, again and again and again, go back to God. Go back to theology proper. Go back to the Trinity. Thinking about the glory of God is what weans you off the glory of man. Because they do not compare. Number two, silence. 
That's study and then silence. Meaning you practice the discipline of not praising yourself. Harder than you think because we're subtle about it, aren't we? <laughs> Lest we be perceived as a braggart, we just, you know, shoehorn in little comments about ourselves. We, f- we fish for a compliment. We cast ourselves in the best light. I still feel like I'm weaning off of my parents' approval. Wanting that, I mean, those grooves are deep that I want. And I might, like, physically, I do something good, and it's like, i got to call mom and dad. What is that? It's not good. I mean, if I want to call them and tell them, great, but I don't have to. I don't need it. And um, just shutting up is a big help. Just shut up. Just stop talking about yourself. Actually listen to someone else. Be more happy for their victories than your own. Turn with me to Matthew 5. I want you to see this. Jesus gives us a good old-fashioned paradox. Paradox is a seeming contradiction, something that seems to be contradictory but is not. And typical of Jesus, he's navigating human nature in such a way that here's the good and here's not good. He doesn't give us a simple, simple answer. He, he, asks, us, he asks more of us. So Matthew 5.14, right in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your fathers in heaven. So, in one sense, Jesus commands you to let your good works be seen, He wants them to be seen. He wants people to say, wow, that's different. What God do they serve? Because if that's about that God, I want a piece of that. I want in. Okay. Jump down to Matthew 6.1. Beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. (laughs) For then you will have no reward, no reward from your Father who is in heaven. All right, Jesus, kind of making us think here. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. (coughs) So that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees, doesn't forget, in secret will reward you. Especially when you're doing something good, beware of vainglory. Be silent. Be hidden. Because here's the thing. If God wants someone to notice, they will. If 
you want someone to see and hear about it, they will. When you don't trust that and you try to make people notice the good that you're doing, you lose your reward. Whatever they give you, that's it. It's over. It's done. If that was your heart. It's not a good deal, guys. It's not a good trade. It's insane. Give up eternal blessing for a fleeting fix of approval. This is what Satan is selling. And I am the sucker that so many times buys it. And that's what we are when we do. We're suckers. It's not a good trade. And Jesus is appealing to your logic. Think about it. Like Esau, traded your inheritance for a bowl of stew. I'm going to have a mud pie when I could have a holiday at the sea. It's, it's very logical. Jesus is saying, I want you to have the most reward possible. Think about it. Which is better? Eternal, ever-amplifying glory and reward on the new earth from the Father, or Brenda hits the heart button. It, it, it shouldn't be difficult, but because we're sinners, it is. And let me say this. I'm not saying that it's always wrong to share something that you did that was good or share something good in your life. It's not. I think there can be reasons that are not sinful. Like you want to encourage someone. You want to bring glory to God for the good thing that he did. Or you're just excited about something good that happened. You want to share it with a friend. That's great. Yes, yes, amen. But be discerning of your heart. Ask the Spirit to help you discern your own heart. Am I doing this to do good or to look good? That's the question. Number three, solitude. Vainglory is all about having an audience. You need moments and seasons where the audience is removed to live with a healthy hiddenness where you stop making public what is private. You stop the advertising of the company of self. You get away from those who entice you to want their approval. And you know there are certain people that entice you. It's not their fault necessarily, but they just do for you. I think one of the most challenging things in the smartphone age is to actually break away from the feedback loop. You know, when I was a kid, yeah, there was pressure at school. Um, There was the same kind of stuff going on today. But when I went home, it was over for the day. I got away from it. That pressure, that social pressure. Now, if you let it, it is relentless. It is there all the time. 24-7, if you let it. You're never off the clock. You always have to be performing. There's always an audience. What does it lead to? Good things like isolation, depression, anxiety, defensiveness, sleeplessness. Anybody? Young people, anybody? 
you better check in with vainglory. You better check in on solitude, getting away from it. So, learning to study God, being silent, having solitude. These are going to feel weird at first if you've never done them. They're going to feel weird. But if you press through, if you push on, they will become habits. They will become virtues. Craving to be thought well of will diminish in your heart. And the approval of God in the gospel will more and more fill you up and satisfy you. That's a promise. So, to close, if you are in Christ, he is making you new. Just wait for him to finish. Let's pray. Father, I pray for these people whom I love that... Like myself, you might uproot this poisonous tree. You might cut off this capital branch of vice. You might suck out the poison from our hearts, Lord, and replace it with being caught up in your glory, in who you are, in what you've done, in loving other people. And Lord, these would be the things that would occupy our mind, not being thought well of, not being impressive. Grant us the grace to live hidden, content lives. We ask for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.